Ave Maria Radio and Renewal Ministries presents Fire on the Earth, a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. Hello, friends, and welcome to Fire on the Earth. I'm Pete Burak, and I am filling in for your usual host and friend, Peter Herbeck, this week. Peter's asked me to cover all the days this week, so you can look forward to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of me sitting in his seat unpacking the scriptures together as we celebrate the new year. A very hearty, happy new year to all of you. And as we go through the Feast of the Epiphany, and just it's a great week. It's a good opportunity to continue to reset from 2023, look forward to 2024, and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what should this year be about? And I know there's all sorts of articles and things said and written about New Year's resolutions and starting over in the new year and starting all these new habits and practices, and I'm not going to get into that this week. But maybe one encouragement would just be, what if we spent a little bit more time this year asking Jesus' opinion about things? What if we just spent time each day seeking his heart, seeking his mind, seeking his perspective on things, whether that's suffering in our life, whether that's an opportunity in front of us, whether that's literally everything, because Jesus loves you, he likes you, he cares about you, he's walking with you, and he has an opinion about everything, and his opinion is always good, and his opinion is always for our good, and so as a disciple, we should be preoccupied anyway with those two questions of a disciple, what's God saying to me, and what am I doing about it? What's God saying to me, and what am I doing about it? And maybe as we start off 2024, this would be something we could focus on is just asking those two questions more often so that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and that we can live consistently walking with and living from our relationship with Jesus. But this week, what we're going to focus on, it's going to be kind of a preview of coming attractions week. And what I mean by that is I've written a new booklet. It's not released yet. It's coming out, so you'll have to stay tuned. But the booklet is called, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Big question, important question. What must I do to be saved? And the question comes from a section in Acts where Paul and Silas have been imprisoned and they've spent the night worshiping. And in the context of their worshiping and crying out to God, a miracle happens and, you know, there's the earthquake and they're basically freed. And this is what we hear. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas brought them out and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? What a pivotal, eternal, consequential question. In some ways, it is the question. What must I do to be saved? There's so much we're going to unpack over the course of the week as to why that question is important and how does Jesus answer it. But as we begin the new year, and one of the things that the church invites us to over the Christmas season is to celebrate what God has done in the birth of Jesus and his redemptive work and the incarnation and Mary's yes and the shepherd's response and the wise men and all that. We celebrate what God has done and how people have responded to it. So we look back during this time, but then we also get some readings and we, we look forward towards what is to come, the second coming, judgment death, heaven and hell, and the, the the four last things, as the church talks to us about. So in the midst of celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're also invited to consider his eventual death and our eventual death and what that means for us and why that matters. And so this question, what must I do to be saved, is a question we should be thinking about a lot, 
but in particular at the beginning of the new year in the in the context of coming out of the christmas season and kind of celebrating what we celebrated it's it's really important to acknowledge the temporal the here and now to live in the here and now to be peaceful in the here and now but to also always have an eye and always have our hearts drawn towards what is coming and what is coming for all of us the universal human condition is death we're all gonna die who invited this guy kind of a downer i realize peter talks about this a lot so you've heard this before but scripture talks about how life is a passing shadow it's here today and gone tomorrow it's like a a little gust of wind a little wisp of smoke life is in the grand scheme of eternity and for a christian this is not a cause for alarm so much as a, a cause for joy because we know we are a pilgrim people, that we are on a journey, that our life here on earth is not the fullness of what we were created for. Yes, we can have an abundant life here on earth, but the abundant life that we were ultimately made for will not, cannot be fully fulfilled until the other side of death, that doorway into new life as a Christian, as a baptized person. And so it's it's one of those things that's confounding to the world that a Christian would meditate on their death. You know, or a lot of the great saints would have a skull around their desk where they would write so they could look and say, yes, I need to remember that death comes for us all. But he's an enemy that has been vanquished. He's an adversary that we can overcome. And we do that in and through what we just celebrated, the incarnation, that Jesus comes he takes on the human condition. He's like us in all things but sin. And then what we will then celebrate in the next couple months is that incredible redemptive work where he destroys the power of sin and death through his death on the cross. So this question of what must I do to be saved is one that just kind of resounds throughout all of history. What does salvation mean? Why is it important? How do we understand it? And what do we do about it? And so listen to Paul and Silas's response. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So a few years ago, Ralph Martin, the president of Renewal Ministries and Peter Herbeck, you know, the executive vice president of Renewal Ministries and your regular host, invited another young man and I, Joey, to go through a Bible study with them. And what we decided to do is we were kind of feeling the need to be more formed, and particularly Joey and I were interested in just kind of sitting at the feet of Ralph and Peter and receiving some of their wisdom in a more regular way. And so we decided to start in the Gospel of Matthew and just slowly but surely read through the Gospel of Matthew, looking for all the various instances where Jesus talks about the conditions of salvation, where he answers the question of what must we do to be saved. And I have to admit, like when we started that process, I assumed that it would go pretty quickly. I kind of had it in my mind, you know, there's some some obvious passages, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and some other ones that that we would know. But like, I just kind of assumed that as we went through the Gospel of Matthew, we'd be able to kind of accomplish it pretty fast. And what I was not anticipating was how consistently pervasive Jesus talks about heaven, hell, and what we need to do in order to avoid hell and enter into heaven. These are not just a few isolated texts. This is not just like a, a passage 
once every few chapters. This was basically once he begins his preaching and teaching, it shows up over and over and over and over again. His mindset, his vision, the truth that he has come to reveal about who we are, what we're made for, where we're going, and what we need to do in order to receive that is a pervasive narrative in the Gospels. And what's what's wild is he doesn't just talk about it the same way every time. I mean, it's from every conceivable angle. Sometimes it's very direct language when he talks about the broad way and the narrow way. Sometimes it's more like parables where he gives ten different examples of what the kingdom of heaven is like and then talks about what it's like to either possess the kingdom or not possess the kingdom. Sometimes it's just with his apostles and a very small group of people. Other times it's with the crowds. He is systematically, consistently, and what was so clear was unapologetically preaching on what is necessary for us to be saved. He does this, we believe. The reason Jesus highlights these teachings so consistently is because he knows they're not supplemental to his mission. They're not just like an optional add-on of the reality of heaven and hell, the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, the reality of mercy and forgiveness. All of that is not kind of tangential to what he's about it's fundamental it's foundational to his very mission because if you think about it why does he come and die on a cross and break the power of sin and death unless there's something that needs to be defeated sin and death unless there's something that needs to be restored our union with god unless there's some things us or better yet some ones who need to be saved And if the ability to be saved or the reality of being saved was just simply we just get to exist and kind of smile at him and as long as we just kind of nod our head at his teaching and have some degree of faith, we're going to be okay. If that's all it was, then why would he talk about it so consistently? Why would he talk about it so passionately? Why would the church, in her obedience to him, think about the end of Matthew where he says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All. Not just the parts you like. Not just the parts that are comfortable. Not just the parts that other people will want to hear. We need to teach all that Jesus commanded his apostles. And when you look at what he taught, he preaches with great authority. He confirms it with power. And it becomes so clear that the manner with which he's preaching and the witness of his life, Jesus, and what he's doing and what he's proclaiming either brings about hope and conversion to the downtrodden who recognize their need for a savior. Or, as we see in the Gospels, he becomes this undeniable threat to the religious authorities and they end up putting him to death. And what's so interesting, too, is as he's trying, I mean, you have to remember that every single person that Jesus encounters in the Gospels, he is trying to save. God the Father wants everyone to be reconciled to him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are on mission to save the entire world. Everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will ever live is loved by God and God desires that they would experience and live in and through him for all eternity. And so God has gone 
to the greatest of lengths to communicate what is necessary and the truth about how we live in that life with him and how we can experience his joy, how we can experience his freedom, how we can experience his love and therefore be saved. And so even when Jesus seems incredibly intense, when he, you know, at one point he's calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's pretty intense. But that's loving actually in that moment because he understands that their hearts are hardened, that they have, he calls them whitewashed tombs, you know, beautiful and gleaming on the outside and full of rot and decay and death on the inside. Jesus is saying that about them, not because he's, I mean, it's not because he's like just being mean. He's doing that because he wants them to understand the truth about who they are so that they will repent. I mean, the the posture he takes with the Pharisees is very different than he takes with the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's a, a gentleness with her. There's a compassion with her. But again, desiring the same outcome. Every single person that Jesus meets in the Gospels, he is trying to reach out to and invite into faith, reach out to invite into discipleship, reach out and invite into repentance so that his mercy can flow, so that they can be transformed, so that ultimately they can receive his Holy Spirit, so that they can live differently, be transformed, live in harmony with about the truth of who they are and what they're made for, so at the end of their lives they can be welcomed into the kingdom. So this is what we're going to be looking at over the next few days. We're going to just go through some of Jesus's passages and talk about, okay, what is he revealing here and what is the impact for us? I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Peter Herbeck. This has been Fire on the Earth. We'll see you tomorrow to talk more about what is necessary for us to be saved. God bless. Each program of Fire on the Earth with Peter Herbeck can be downloaded at AveMariaRadio.net and RenewalMinistries.net. Fire on the Earth is a production of Ave Maria Radio. Friends, I'd like to offer you my new booklet, Receiving Fire. Jesus said, I have come to cast fire on the earth. Would that it were already ablaze. That fire is the purifying love that burns in the heart of Jesus. A fire of grace for those who receive it, but a fire of judgment for those who refuse it. If you'd like a copy of this free booklet, call 1-800-282-4789 or contact us on the web at renewalministries.net slash foe. That's renewalministries.net slash foe.